Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Centerpoint Podcast. My name's Billy. And I'm Lowell. And we're thankful that you're spending a few moments with us as we open up God's Word and really process through it together as we seek to honor God in our lives. Right now, we've been in a bit of a series. We're looking back at the First Testament, which we usually call the Old Testament, but we've kind of stretched that out a little bit and just realized that this is God's first I'll say book, all that really isn't exactly accurate either, but it's First Testament uh, where he communicated with mankind. We've been tracing through that and kind of drawing a picture of what God's uh, communication is with us. Um, I like to draw. I do a lot of doodling. I well, you are the king of doodlers. I do like to doodle. You know, you yeah. listen, but like it's your pen keeps moving <laughs> in these intricate shapes and like, what are they? They're prisms? Uh, I triangles? I think it's the way that I deal with my ADD. If I can I can be doing that and I can really tune into things better. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, I like to draw cats. <laughs> nice. I really like to draw nice. cats. I can draw a little chicken. With the, you know, but actually, we're talking about drawing. I had done a painting one time when I was in college, and the lady was just a great teacher. And it was our last, our last project. And she had us choose three things that we loved. And then we thought about that. And then we began to paint them on a canvas. And it was really neat. I, I can't remember how I did that really. I remember some points, but, uh, she taught us how to create a painting, and I have that. It's in my garage. In like, my, what do you mean she taught? I mean, that seems like that's something you don't know how to do or you don't know how to do. I mean, you can either paint or you can't. How, well, do, you, how do you teach somebody to do that? Well, there's steps in creating a painting, and I think of people like Bob Ross. Oh, Bob oh, Ross. Pretty little bush, pretty little bush. Bob Ross or Thomas Kincaid or some of those guys that are a little bit more contemporary and we could see them on television and see their work, but there's steps to it. The first thing you need to do is you need to, cr- first you need to think about what you're going to paint. You yeah, need to have like a point. A focal point. Have, have a point and a purpose to what you're going to paint. Like yeah. for Bob Ross, that might be like a cabin. Yeah, or a like lake. he would say he would say we're going to draw a cabin today. But then the whole thing, you don't. There's no cabin. See, I would just jump in and start drawing the cabin. That's how right. I would do it. That's right. But what's he do? Well, he begins by taking the blank canvas and doing what's called like an underpainting or an underwash and changing the whole canvas. It's very vague. You don't know what's going. It's just like taking paint, just slapping it on there and smathering, slathering it all around. And it doesn't seem like it's really a painting especially in the beginning. Hmm. But as, let's say Bob Ross, for example, as he creates the painting, things slowly start coming into view. Hmm. You start with the perspective way far away where it's all faded and, and kind of blurry. And then as he continues to paint on that canvas, he starts getting closer and closer and closer and you know, putting blocking in just like these big shapes. You're like, what is this shape? And then near the very end, it's almost like the pinnacle uh, of the focal point, like you said, he's thinking about a cabin. Then he takes the this very accurate tools and boom, 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 boom. And then and you're you've like, got a cabin. Like, Whoa, wait, wait. Where'd that cabin come from? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like it just popped out of nowhere. And uh, so that's kind of the process of a painting. Well, that's, you know, that really it. fits with what we're trying to do in Genesis because. 
you go all the way back to Genesis 3 and God kind of does the, what did you call that? Where you kind of paint the canvas? Yeah, it's kind of like an underpainting okay. or, or an underwash. All right. So all the way back in Genesis 3, after the fall, there's this really statement of the Lord. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Mm. And so we start all the way back in Genesis three. And as we trace this together, we're watching the development of God's plan for man's forgiveness. We go to Genesis three, as we already did. And we see this promise that God's going to send one, that he's going to send a a human, a descendant of Adam and Eve, who will destroy Satan and death and all Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. We go to Genesis nine, where God promises he's not going to wipe out the earth again through a flood, but he's going to be, he's, he's, he's bounding himself to be patient with mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. to have, to, to have a perseverance with our sin mm-hmm. and, and store up his wrath, Romans 3 says. And then you go to Genesis 12, where God says, I'm going to do this, that, that promise I made you in Genesis 3, I'm going to do it through one of the descendants of Abraham. right. right. You go to Genesis 15, where God has this ceremony with Abraham, where this covenant is established, and they they walk between those sacrificed animals. Remember mm-hmm. that? You had the, the sheep parts and all the, those. Present day, we would think it would be uber weird. Yes. Very this. bloody. Yeah. And, and dividing of the three different animals, cut into pieces. And right. Like the, the, the birds. Birds on that. either side. And, and the, the whole the, point of that is that God is going to... He's going to hold this covenant together. Mm-hmm. God promises, and then God makes the promise for Abraham. I'm going to, if I don't keep this covenant, you can take my life. Mm-hmm. And God says, if you don't keep this covenant, Abraham, I'm going to take your life. But no, I my life will be given for you. Mm-hmm. And so we see it's this very unique. Yeah, it's a. Uh, an unconditional or grant covenant. Yes, yeah. And in that, if usually both parties must do must must uphold their end of the deal, mm-hmm. their end of the covenant. But with God, He says, "I'm upholding my end, and I will even take care of you on your end." And remember, the the flip side of this deal is death. Mm-hmm. When Abra- when this ceremony, this covenant ceremony. If you don't keep the bargain, you die. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the requirement for Abraham is perfection. Yeah. You must be perfect. Blameless. You must be blameless. And we know from researching, you know, and reading that Abraham was We not also perfect. know because he's a human. He was and, not perfect. Yeah. And so it's it's exactly what you said with that painting, Billy, the Bob Ross concept. So we got this focal point and it's Jesus. And we are seeing this picture come into view in a greater and greater way with more and more clarity. Mm-hmm. And today, mm-hmm. we're going to come to Genesis 22, and it's going to get real clear now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. Now, we can see it now. I was going to say, it actually is clear to us yes. as we look back on it. But it, thinking about the people in the time, thinking about the Old Testament, even when Jesus was walking on the earth, there was still, it was a, a haziness. They did not quite see this magnificent portrait that God was painting in its totality. That's a good clarification. I appreciate you saying that. We can see it now clearly, but then... Thankfully. Yeah, not so much. Well, let me just read the beginning of it. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, 
and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got it up, got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him his servants and his son, Isaac. And I'll stop there, but off they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can That's, you imagine that? Uh, honestly, that would, I don't, I would struggle with that. Yeah. I would have a huge struggle with that. And we're talking about an event 4,000 years ago. We're talking about a different culture, a different time, a, a different people. And I just want to say, if God tells you to do something today like this, it's not God. This, there is, that God doesn't, there's not the Bible, okay? Abraham doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have the rest of God's word to bounce this off of, okay? He's got this personal relationship with God where God's speaking to him and calling him to do something. God doesn't do this anymore, mm-hmm. okay? God now shares his will with us through his word, Hebrews chapter two. Right. So this is a different time. But in this time, God tells Abraham, and to remember all the work it was for him to get Isaac, we can't we we can't just drive right past that. Right. I mean, he when the first uh, time that God spoke to him, he was about seventy five years old, saying that basically I'm choosing you in this covenant relationship. Roughly around ninety nine is when he had Isaac. Now he had another son, Ishmael, but that was not God's plan. No, it wasn't. It was again an example of his imperfection, his sin. He yeah. was not blameless because he went away from God's plan. That was specifically spoken to him. But the promise was made with between Abraham and Sarah. That's right. And this is the only son that this elderly couple has mm-hmm. or ever will have. Mm-hmm. And God says, sacrifice him. So he's, you know, he's in his hundreds. Yeah. And his son, you know, we don't know exactly how old his son is. We, you know, we have a couple uh, clues in the passage, you know, it calls him a boy, but he still has the ability to carry the wood. You know, he also has the the ability to reason with his dad, yeah, to think about and process through things. So he's not four, right? He yeah. has he has history, he has knowledge, he has the the wisdom to to reason. He's probably done this before. In, I think he's got to be at least he's, a teenager. I would say so, if not so. a young man. But yeah. he is called a boy. Right, right. So so you jump in at verse number six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went along, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse eight, Abraham answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I mean, what a moment this is. So we have a young man that is just asking his dad. And it's interesting that his dad gives an answer and he trusts it. You know, he gives yeah. an answer. Yeah, he does. Says, okay. Yeah. Okay. And they keep going. They reach mm-hmm. the place. Abraham built an altar there. He built an offer. Altar, that is. That's interesting. I mean, that, that's not, that doesn't take two minutes. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son. Now, I, I've i got sons. And let me tell you, by the time they're about age 14 or 15, it's going to be pretty hard to bound them. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. if I'm 99 plus more than 100 <laughs> years old, right? I mean, <laughs> so there's a willingness here. Yes, there is. I mean, he easily could have fought that off. Yeah. But again, an example of obedience to his father. 
So he lays him on the altar, then he reached out his hand, he took the knife to slay his son. Now I wonder, was Abraham, I mean, you may not know if you're listening, but but God's going to stop him, okay? But does Abraham really think he's going to kill his son? What do you think? Is it is Abraham really in his mind going to plunge the knife? Personally, I I believe he is yeah. because of his trust in God and trust in God's plan. No matter what would happen, God would uphold his covenant. And that's what and Hebrews would, says. And there would be a way that God would come true and faithful in it. Listen now, God though, answers. Even though, even though uh, Abraham had no clue. Right. Listen now, God answers that in Hebrews 11. By, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in an act of offering up his only son. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. He, Abraham, this is no longer reading, Abraham knew that God was calling him to sacrifice his son. He knew he was going to go through with it. He knew that if he had, God could raise him from the dead. So yes, when he lifted up that knife, he had every intention of slaying his own son. Mm-hmm. So what's verse 11 say? You got it there? Verse 11 says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Verse 12, he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So I, it's an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing account. And I think the thing that we that we want to see in it today, and we'll, after our break, we'll kind of flesh this out a little bit, but that we need to understand that, that Jesus' sacrifice, which this isn't Jesus' sacrifice, this is Isaac's sacrifice, but we see here the, the, the focal point becoming clearer mm-hmm. of what God is going to do. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We need to see that Jesus' sacrifice is God's ancient, well, no, his eternal design for man's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was his focal point. Mm-hmm. Bob Ross is going to draw the cabin. Jesus is, I mean, God is drawing the picture of Jesus mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. and dying in our place. Mm-hmm. And we got, a, we got a picture of that here. Yeah. And thankfully, we have God's finished work, his, God's word, the Bible, to be able to see the painting and see how it is progressed and how it is is being formed with the culmination in Jesus, the perfection in Jesus. So let's uh, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. We'll talk a little bit more about seeing Jesus in this and focusing on on the the relationship with Isaac and Jesus and how all this comes together to give us clarity in the sacrifice of Jesus. We'll be right back. Centerpoint Bible Church exists to point others to Jesus Christ in His Word, and we want to encourage you to come out and visit us sometime. We're presently meeting at Faith Christian Academy 
Our service is at 9.30, and our focus hour starts at 11 o'clock. You can get information on our website at centerpointwv.org. Thanks for listening, and we pray that you would seek after Jesus. Hi, everybody. Thanks for staying tuned and hanging with us as we are talking about Genesis 22 and what that really means and how that relates to understanding the sacrifice of Jesus Christ from for all eternity. It's an amazing account. It's it's probably you know it's one of it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Just to see, I remember as a as a child um, hearing this story and and just being kind of scary it was kind of scary in a way you know but but also even before i was saved i i could appreciate the the amazing truth of it mm-hmm. and um you know it's funny a lot of things have changed in those 40 years since i was a little kid like one of the yeah. things are these things on my face right now spectacles <laughs> spectacles you know my vision is like really weird like i I have amazing vision. I can see it's better than 2020. I can see from a distance and read things like across the room. But here about the last five years or so, I cannot read something if I'm holding it in my hands. And mm. and it's so it's so I know you have glasses, right? So you're used to yeah. this. Well, I I'm nearsighted, so I can't see very far. Okay. So I wear contacts, but I'm falling to the same groove that you are. In that things that I used to have no problem seeing are now blurry yeah, to me. Yeah, and what's what's interesting is, as I when I put these glasses on, I realize how much I couldn't see before. Yeah, and it's kind of shocking. And like I said, this is yeah. only like five years that uh, mm-hmm. before I did never really had this experience, mm-hmm. and. I see that a lot of way, a lot of ways similar to when we read the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, now we don't when we allow our New Testament understanding to read the Old Testament in our reading of the Old Testament, it doesn't change the meaning. We need to be very careful of that. We don't take what we know from the New Testament and say, "Oh, this now means right. this." Right. The meaning has not changed. God was telling the truth in the Old Testament. He's telling the truth in the New Testament. But what it does is it makes it clearer now. It does not change the, the reality of it. You know, the, the ultimate example of this is the nation of Israel. God made promises to Israel. And we put on the glasses of the New Testament. It doesn't change those right. promises. I totally agree with that. It just makes them a little clearer. Mm-hmm. Same thing with this Genesis 22 account. It doesn't change the meaning of it. It's still Abraham by faith following God's directive. And because of his faith, God credited him with righteousness. But we can see now the picture becoming clearer. And it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and you're we're talking about the theoretically the blurriness of Genesis twenty two with the crispness of of the New Testament when Jesus enters into the world and begins his ministry and a few people a few people see the portrait the finished portrait before anyone else does yeah, and, a, and a great crisp 
picture of that is found in John chapter one. Mm-hmm. And so again, now we want to we want to look at John one, and we'll, we'll read some of it in just a second. But just to clarify what we said just a minute ago, what we're going to say now, we're not suggesting that Abraham understood all of this, but John now is bringing a a clarity to what happened even in Abraham's life and in the account with the sacrifice of Isaac and then the Mosaic sacrificial system and the rest of the First Testament. So let's just let's just read a little bit of it, okay? So we got John the Baptist. What's he known for? Known for eating locusts. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Camel yeah. hair, being rough looking. <laughs> He's a wild man. He comes out of the desert and mm-hmm. people are shocked by this guy. We probably would call him a crazy man today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah, well, yeah, we would. Yeah, he was, he was a little bit uh, out of this world. Um, and so they ask him, who are you? You know, that people are just shocked by who, what's going on. And, and he says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That is in John chapter one, verse number twenty-three, and um, they, there's this all this questioning of of who who are you, John the Baptist? I mm-hmm. mean, he's speaking as a prophet. Remember, there's been four hundred silent years; they have not heard mm-hmm. anything from God. Okay, and so now John says, "I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to un." And all this is happening along the Jordan River there in Bethany. Mm-hmm. So pick it up at verse 29 and, and read it for us yeah, there. Yeah, so the scene is everyone's following around. People are watching John the Baptist. He's he's doing this preaching dynamic that pe- people are just amazed because he's speaking differently than, than other people that are of authority. And it says in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I get chills when when I yeah. when you read that. Like in my mind, I think of just him coming over this little, just shallow rise, and all of a sudden, John is preaching and teaching, and then he just sees sees Jesus coming over the hill, and it's like he stops mm-hmm. and he points and he calls out, "Behold." the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I picture we're in an, we're in an eye exam. They're checking, they're checking the eyes. You know, they'll put those lenses, you know, they'll mm-hmm. slide those lenses in and, you know, is this clearer or not? Is this clearer or not? Mm-hmm. Is this? And it's like when John the Baptist says that, it's like a thousand lenses just yeah. in the place and mm-hmm. everything now is clear. It's crisp. Mm-hmm. I like when you use that Very word. Crisp. It's crisp. Mm-hmm. So John says, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, think about all the way back to, to Isaac, 2,000 years prior. He's the first one that I know of that asked this question. I don't know of this question before this, or even the implied question, right. where he says, hey, Dad, we got this wood. Uh, we, got, you know, we got everything we need. But where is the Lamb? For the burnt offering. And that question is really echoed through the next 2,000 years. I mean, there's sacrificial system going on. Think of the number of lambs that are slain yeah. that are just, you know, they're, they're just cut wide open for, for 2,000 years. This is a regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really kicks up at about 1400 BC when Moses, God gives Moses the Mosaic covenant. And now, there's this whole, there's the temple sacrifice. Well, first tabernacle, but then when Solomon comes, the temple sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, 
animals over and over and over being slain. Mm-hmm. And all along, people were asking this question. What's the point of this? What's the, you know, where is the, sl- where is the lamb that's going to take away sin? It's back to Genesis 3. When is this Satan and sin going to be conquered? It just echoes forward to John when he says, here he is, mm-hmm. the lamb of God. It's like um, the Bob Ross painting where he, where with like three or four strokes, boom, ba, 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 boom, there's the cabin. Yeah. It's like, whoa, there it is. There it is. Uh, it's, it also is interesting to see, as we were saying earlier, the correlation between um, Jesus and him being the sacrifice. You had would, you would said a phrase um, in the previous podcast about uh, the sacrifice of Jesus. And what was that, what was that phrase that well, you said? Well, it's that his sacrifice is, is God's eternal design for man's forgiveness the, more than ancient right it's his eternal design mm-hmm. for man's sacrifice so we can see this this design is a thread that the it is from the beginning well eternity e- past eternity past to eternity future but we can see the the correlation in uh, genesis 22 and i'll just read a couple i'll just read a couple little phrases and then i'll Relate it to something with the New Testament. Um, Take your son, your only son, Isaac. That was in verse two. And then for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Uh John 3.16. And this is interesting. Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. And in research, it's believed that this area is where the city of Jerusalem was built. And many years later where Jesus was crucified outside at city walls. Same place. The same place. That's Hebrews 13:12. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering, verse 2. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. So we're going back and forth Old Testament New Testament. This blurriness, this 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 historical account, but the clarity that comes through Jesus. Abraham took the wood, you know, people even reference how he took the wood, that Isaac was the one that carried the wood for the offering, and Jesus himself carried his cross up to be crucified. And then it goes to the question that that Isaac, the very first question that you astutely uh, referenced, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And we know it in John 1, behold the lamb. The, the first question, really, Genesis 22, and the answer in John one twenty nine. I, I, it's pretty amazing. And I wonder, like, what did Abraham know? You know, what, what, what's his thoughts about what's going on here, mm-hmm. you know? And Jesus kind of referenced that in, in a way. I mean, it doesn't give us a lot of detail. But in John chapter 8... Jesus says something about Abraham that's kind of striking. I mean, first of all, let's just recognize Jesus refers to Abraham as a real historical person. Sure. This mm-hmm. is not a myth. Right. Okay. And and Abraham was was called to sacrifice his son. We know that from Hebrews, Isaac, not Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and But in John 8, there's this whole debate going on between Jesus and the Jewish leaders and Jesus says something that's really interesting. You pointed this out to me, Billy. Um, it's in John eight fifty six. Jesus says to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it 
and was glad. I mean, that just blows your mind. How does that so so get us there? How does that blow your mind? Well, how he phrases what he said. You know, he your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. So we have a past and then we have a future. And then it says he saw it and was glad. So in my mind, I'm thinking this Jesus was in either was interacting with Abraham or he understood clearly what Abraham was processing through in the moment in Genesis 22. But I can't, honestly, I just, in my mind, I can't wrap my mind around that he said he saw it and was glad. Either that is Jesus understood the faith of Abraham or he was having an interaction with Abraham before he came to the earth and he knew these things. Or I don't another know. option. I don't, I don't another, know. And, and yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know. Yeah, I have no There's clue. nothing wrong with saying I don't know. Yeah. Well, but, let me say this real quick. Yeah? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> another option, though, of, of the two you've already mentioned, the third would be maybe he was talking about the Genesis 15 where they're walking through the animal pieces. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Very good maybe point. Abraham was thinking, or Jesus is explaining that Abraham is thinking about that God would take his penalty. Yeah. God would be, the, the correct word would be his propitiation, mm-hmm. that, that God would receive his, uh, the consequences of Abraham's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know, but it's really intriguing. Mm-hmm. There's something that Abraham knew and rejoiced and was glad over it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to this. It is. It is. And uh, we don't even have time to really dive into how was we, – we reference how Abraham might might have been feeling about this, that he had faith. But, I mean, when you sacrifice your son, it's still an emotional, you know, emotional – tasking a toll that that would go on to Abraham himself and just think about how God felt when he gave his one and only son sacrificed him mm. and the correlation with that of of yes it was a sad day but also he had the confidence to know what would happen that's i think of Isaiah 53 you know how uh, how it was God's purpose and plan for this sacrifice to to happen. I think another takeaway that we can that we need to just uh, reference is that the the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the the gospel that Jesus would die and he would be buried and raised again. This was not a new idea that kind of like, you know, God kind of fell into. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, man, human sinned. Right. What am I going to do now? Oh, no, the Romans are in charge and they do crucifixion. Oh, bummer. The Jews turned Jesus over to the Romans. They're going to kill him. Well, it, it, all of that mm-hmm. was part of God's grand design, his eternal design for man's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And at first I said it's ancient, and it is, but it goes beyond that, just like you said, before the foundations of the world. So, you know, I think that's pretty comforting to know that there is a, a an eternal plan. You know, when when thing when you're when things don't go well for you, when it's not when things don't work exactly the way you want them to in a day by day life, it's pretty comforting to know that in the biggest 
thing we can think of the 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 fall of man that God had a giant plan where he was working out mm-hmm. and you are part of that plan hmm. and but he still calls us to obedience to his perfect plan, and that is putting our faith and trust complete faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and living a life that is mirroring Jesus and being transformed into the image of his son because when he looks down and sees us he sees the sacrif- the eternal sacrifice of his son Jesus and is able to welcome us into his heavenly home mm. it's uh it's powerful all because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the eternal design for man's forgiveness. Well, thanks for listening to us today. And uh, if you want to listen to it again, just click on uh, centerpointwv.org and go to the podcast. And uh, they'll, the, you can uh, listen to us uh, spout off again about, uh, about God's Word and just really flesh out the truths of, that God has given us in His Holy Scriptures. Thanks for Thanks for listening, and just remember that we're nothing fancy here at Centerpoint Bible Church, but we want to be real, just like Jesus is. 